Good morning, <clears throat> Sunday morning, Calvary Chapel, Kennebec Valley, and I'm speaking to an empty room, except I got a couple people in the back doing sound, and here we are. I have some remarks uh, by way of announcements. We'll be in First Peter chapter 1 this morning. As far as announcements, there's nothing. Uh, everything has been suspended for the time being, and we'll Facebook, and we'll message, and we'll call, and you know, get the word out otherwise when we're reconvening. At the beginning we said two weeks and we haven't changed that. It's very fluid, so things can change in a hurry, as you've seen. Last week, uh, President Trump declared March 15th the National Day of Prayer, and so we prayed. Uh, the elders prayed for this church. So far, I haven't heard of anyone who's con uh, contracted the virus. Um, and I, praise God. You know, I I kind of figure like God's in a hard spot. Even when he heals the entire nation, the CDC will get the praise. But I'm, my trust, my uh, confidence is in God. And just as last week was the National Prayer Day, doesn't mean we should stop praying. I certainly haven't. And I would say that you should pray as well. Now on some other matters. Giving. Uh, post uh, Calvary Chapel, Kennebec Valley, post office box, 1664, Waterville, Maine, 04903. I'll say that again. Post Office Box 1664, Waterville, Maine, 04903, if you're giving with paper check. And by the way, if you are, how cute are you? And you can still give online. And probably that's the way a lot of people have done it these days. And we're... Um, of course, it's uh, plowboyministries.org, and when you get to the opening, the home page, there's a give tab, um, so you can give that way too. Now, I just want to address why I'm speaking to an empty room. Now, you all have heard of the coronavirus and the elephant in every room, changing the way that life is lived in America for the time being. Some people... Some clever people, some smart people, some people who are way smarter than me say it's a manufactured virus. I don't know that. I, again, people smarter than me say that that is so. Some people are saying that people are using it to manipulate, well, for instance, the churches. This is an attack on the church. They want us to run like sheep and run for cover and they're manipulating events so that we would be scared. And, and they point out, you know, that a lot more people die of influenza than the coronavirus. 25,000 Americans a year is the number that I've heard. Uh, people say that uh, half a million died during the Obama administration alone. Not, not that not that Obama was to blame, nothing of the sort. But they point that out. We haven't got half a million worldwide yet died. This may be so, but my point is, so what? These are the cards we've been dealt, and we're going to have to deal with this crisis, whether it's manufactured, whether it's uh, people making much ado about nothing. It's kind of the hand we're dealt, and we have to, I want to say this, some, you know, I'm struggling for words, someone who usually doesn't struggle for words very often, because I want to say this exactly correct. Um, 
just ignore it and go on ahead, you know, like, wow, we're just going to trust God. And we trust God and we want to trust God. And I think there is no room for fear. I'm not even 0% afraid. But, you know, we, when the weather's bad, we still say, okay, don't, don't meet for church. Well, I've got a fine automobile and I can know how to drive and I'll be there and the others, you know, if they want to make it, that's fine. Until somebody goes off the road, then dies, and then, well, how come you didn't uh, suspend uh, services will, will be the question. So we're getting a lot of criticism. My thinking is, uh, and not, not pointed at me, I'm talking about pointing at the church at large, like we're a bunch of sheeple and we've, you know, that we've let them manipulate us and running for cover, but all we have to do is meet, someone contra- uh, contract the virus, and then get very sick or perhaps even die. And then what are we going to say? Like I say, this is, this is the events. These are, I think, are the... We can't say that we're pro-life and we're all pro-life and we're about life and then have a cautious disregard for life. I don't see how else we can do it. So if for this, at this time, we'll be doing this and come what may... And I'm just thankful to God that we have the ability to do this. So anyway, First Peter chapter 1. Uh, just a quick explanation. And if that's satisfactory, good. And if it's not, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, we're trying to, you, we have you know, godly men who are trying to run this church, who are trying to uh, find the will of God, the mind of God. We're prayerful. We're, um, you know, and there's always that second guessing, but whatever, we're just going to, Keep plowing. That's that's our motto. So anyway, First Peter chapter one. Now, last week we got about the first five verses, and I'll read that just kind of by way of. But I'm hopefully get up to verse nineteen today. So, like I say, we got a long time to go, a long way to go, and a short time to get there. Let's pray, Father. We pray again. Your healing on the nation. Your healing on the world. Your healing. We just pray health, Lord, and strength and faith and. All the good things that the Spirit of God has given us, Lord, we, we claim them as your promises to us. And, and Father, we pray your blessing on our online congregation now that uh, many would be blessed. And I, I, I believe you have a special word for us this morning, Lord. And past my inability to speak, I pray you would reach out and touch hearts here this morning. And that your great fame might go forth from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered through Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay, we know it's by Peter. He's saying to the strangers scattered. That's who it's to. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Um, he mentions this, the Trinity in that verse, and he talks about election. We won't go there. I think that's kind of one of the things that bogged us down last week. Go ahead and get last week's recording if you want to understand anything about election. Blessed be. Uh, blessed be means it's the same same word. We get the word eulogy from. It means to speak well. Speak well. About God is what he's saying. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again, read here, born again, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, 
reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So again, I don't want to reiterate, re-preach last week's sermon, reteach last week's teaching. Just a couple points. God is good because of His abundant mercy to us. We have new life in Christ because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that grants us an inheritance, an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance. Well, where is it? Well, it's reserved in heaven for you. Aren't you glad? Heaven's a place where moth doesn't corrupt, where rust doesn't happen, where thieves don't break in and steal. If you had your inheritance now, wouldn't you blow it? I don't care how uh, conservative you are. Wouldn't you go through it eventually? And then when the world ended with a, with a, a big noise, fervent heat, wouldn't you lose it all? No, it's in a place where you'll have it forever. Uh, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, people talk to me all the time about, well, very often about losing your salvation. I'm kept by the power of God. I trusted God when I first got saved to save me. I trust Him now to keep me. If your word to me is, trust Him less, that's going to fall on deaf ears. Uh, that's all I can say about that. Now, let's, let's keep moving ahead. Wherein you get greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Like the coronavirus, like not being able to go anywhere, like not being able to enjoy dinner out with your wife, like uh, maybe you were laid off, maybe there's a financial downturn, maybe it's going to impact you negatively. There, is, there are manifold temptations, a lot of things you go through, there's sickness, there is uh, people lose their job, people lose their marriages, people, people die, people are involved in car wrecks, uh, hurricanes, famine, pestilence. There's, there's a lot of things that happen. And these all... Um, well, let me... Before I ask the question, let me, let's keep reading. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith, that the testing of your faith, in other words, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory. Your faith, right, is tested. It's like the crucible. It, it, it goes in there and it's refined and it's much more precious than gold. And, you know, it, it kind of, I, I say the word crucible because that's what, how gold is refined. And so is your faith through these, through these manifold temptations. You're saying everything bad that happens to me is refining my faith. No, I'm saying everything that happens to you bad should be refining your faith. Is that the reason for all the bad things in the world? Because people all the time, they talk about God like, you know, he's, you, you read an insurance policy, acts of God, you know, hurricane, flood, earthquake, you know, acts of God. Like, so God's up there shaking the world, raining on it too much, causing the wind to blow too hard, and that's all that God does. No, God's our gracious Heavenly Father who gave us paradise, and we wrecked it. And now we live on a fallen world. And sometimes things happen because it's a fallen world. And that's all there is to it. But I don't think things happen to us like that. Um, well, it's just, a, it's just a, a fallen world. I think everything that comes to us is father-filtered. And I think that God allows things that... I've said this before, almost on a daily basis. 
probably on a weekly basis, maybe even twice a week or something, God says to me, do you trust me? And he finds new (laughs) and brilliant ways to put my faith to the test. Like coronavirus. I've never been down this road before. You've never been down this road before. What does a man of God do in a situation like this? So I reach out to God and I say, Lord, what? What am I supposed to be doing? What am I? And I got, I get word from God. You know, God is more talkative probably than we let on. Probably we don't, we're not, you know, be still and know that I'm God. Probably part of it is we're not still long enough for him to talk. And he won't talk over the ruckus of our lives. If we constantly have input and media coming to us and, and, and all the things that he, he won't, he won't shout over it. He's, he still speaks in that still small voice, and he's got a lot to say. I think one of the things he said to me is, no fear. You have a height of the skyline profile, and fear shouldn't come in, enter into the picture at all. And so that's one of the things I've been saying about, no fear. Look, fear in and of itself makes you more susceptible to the virus. It, it, it weakens your immunity. Anxiety weakens your ability to fight off diseases. Do you trust in God or do you trust in hand washing? And by the way, for goodness sake, wash your hands. And I think America's washing the hands in unprecedented ways. Now, just for the record, I've washed my hands long before we ever heard of coronavirus. Okay, just, just so as you know. Uh, and we have like, you know, that goop, that uh, gel, that, uh, what's it called? Yeah, Hannah sanitizer, but oh, Purex. I was thinking of brand name. We have that Purex. We have that, you know, as you come into the sanctuary, and and you know, we're we're a handshaking group and a hugging group, and and uh, you know, so people are abstaining right now. That's fine. I hope we go back to it at some point. I hope this doesn't change America fundamentally. Although it might, we're gonna have flu season every year. But we're like I say, our faith is being tested. Our, our ability to trust God is on display. Uh, it's not the biggest trial of our faith that any of us have been through, but it's one of them. And as our faith is refined, God sees that more precious than we see gold. I, I shouldn't say that it's more precious than He sees gold. In heaven, it's pavement. I mean... What can you say? You think God gets excited? Somebody gave him a gold bracelet inscribed God and he wore it everywhere and showed it to everybody? I don't think so. I think it's more precious than we perceive gold to be precious. He sees the trying of our faith, the, the coming to the front, the, the, that, that crucible where the, where the impurities are, are, are taken away and we have pure faith in God. That is found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back, there's gifts to be given, there's awards to be awarded, there's prizes to be captured for that faith. And he's talking, he ends on the the word Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now you, you see him not, yet believing, You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That's a that's a big two big verses. We haven't seen them, but we love them. Can you say that? I remember a time when someone said something to me. They said, "Well, you know, just so you love the Lord." And we, I think it was because we were had a little bit of a 
disagreement, not a, a fight, just I saw things this way, and he saw things this way, and he said, well, just so as you love the Lord. And I didn't. And I was saved probably a couple of years at this time, maybe a year, and I didn't love the Lord. I was very thankful for salvation. I, was, I knew I was saved, and I knew I wasn't going to hell, and I was very grateful for that. But did I love the Lord? No. I mean, you know, as I thought about it, um, by the way, loving the Lord is, is a choice. But it's also something that grows, like you choose a, a spouse, a, you know, you're in a dating situation, I choose to go out with this girl, and it's choice. You know, will love happen? Well, that's a growth thing. I don't, you know, love at first sight, eh, mutual strong attraction at first sight. Love, probably not. But, you know, when love goes away, and we're talking about Sunday night, by the way, Sunday night's still intact. We're going to have our electronic online again, and I would encourage you all to be here electronically. Um, love is, is an emotion. It's like, um, you know, I, this person, I think they're really uh, attractive. They're funny. They're a pleasure to be around. They're, and love grows. That phileo love, that Friendship love, that kindred spirit love, that. But then sometimes love is just a choice. That choice love. Um, and I think that's it with the Lord, both of those things. We grow in knowledge of Him. To know Him is to love Him. If that's been true of anyone, it's been true of Jesus Christ. The more I know Him, the more I know of Him, the more He shows up in my life and works in wondrous ways, the more He shows me His love for me, I love Him more and more, and it's an increasing love. And then there's the choice. Sometimes, dramatically bad things happen. What do you mean, Adam? Uh, if you're in that season, verse 6, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials. What happens when you lose your job? What happens when you lose your spouse? Either through divorce or death. What happens when you lose somebody you love? Or a job? Or you're going through financial difficulty? Or because I know a lot of people, they shake their angry fists at the heavens and curse God. That's, that's dumb. Sometimes it's just a choice. And I, and I say both of those things are in play about our love for the Lord. We haven't seen him, but we love him. And that should be true of us. I remember, uh, the lawyer comes to Jesus, okay, what's, uh, what's uh, commandment one? Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. That has to be, at some point, what Christians are all about. And love your neighbor as yourself. We haven't seen him. Maybe he appeared to you in a dream. Maybe he appeared to you physical. I, 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 you know, I say you haven't seen him. and You talk to enough people and somebody will say, oh, no, I saw him. And, I'm not even doubting that, okay? Typically, we haven't seen him, but we love him. Though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable. And the word unspeakable means you can't put it into you can't put it into words. It's not that you can't say it, it's that you can't define it. It's undefinable, probably a better way to say it. You know, we talk about the Lord and we run out of adjectives real quick. Oh, I do. He's full of glory. That's one way of saying it because when you start talking about Him, human language doesn't... It, it has its limitations. 
And, but it's not talking about the Lord. It's talking about that joy that we have. Well, Adam, you started off with we're full of heaviness through manifold temptations. But as always, you know, the night may be dark and bleak, and, but joy comes in the morning. I mean, at the end of that season, there's always unspeakable joy. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Receiving the end, outcome, the denouement, the final, when it all makes sense, when all the strands of the story come together in such a way that you figure it out, and, and it's like, oh, I get it. That's the end, when Jesus comes back and you see it all. You see the trials, you see what you've been through. You've, you understand it in a way that, and it worked out to uh, God's glory and your betterment. And there's unspeakable joy, and it's glorious. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Where's, where does salvation come from? It comes from faith in God. Well, I thought it came from being good. You won't find a verse, verse in the Bible that agrees with that. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So we have the Jeremiah's, the Isaiah's, the Ezekiel's, the Daniel's of the world, the Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Mike, all them, prophesying of Jesus Christ and not understanding what they were prophesying. It says so here. They, they inquired and searched diligently. Do you think that their inquiring and diligent search involved prayer? Because that's how I uh, inquire and diligently search. I pray. So Isaiah would write something, and then he would say, what is this all about? And if God spoke to him, like I think God speaks to our hearts sometimes, he would say, okay, I moved you to write it, you wrote it, good job, way to go. And Isaiah would say, but I want to know what it means. And God, who compartmentalizes the truth in such a way, says, no, not for now. You've, you've, you've done what I wanted you to do. That's it. Yay. Thanks for doing a great job. And we know more about a lot of these things, all of these things, if you ask me, than the people who wrote them. Think about John the Baptist sending to uh, when he's in jail and Jesus leaves the area, and he's being persecuted. And finally, he he sends his disciples and said, "Tell me, are you the are you the one, or should we look for another?" Well, we know things that John didn't know. John was in a situation where he was his faith was being tried through manifold temptations. His his faith was being refined. And we know things about Jesus Christ. We don't ask that question. Uh, are you the one or should we look for another? Are we smarter than John the Baptist? Oh, by no means. It's not a question of smart. It's a question of more revelation has been poured into our lives. And I think that's the long and short of it. Um, okay, let's end that. The Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified before... I, I guess I didn't read this whole... Let's go back to verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, some of the things that were prophesied, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us 
they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which thing the angels desire to look into. The end result of this prophesying was to get the message to you by way of these ministers who ministered these things unto you. They preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Look at how it ends. Which things the angels desire to look, desire to look unto you. So angels are saying, scratching the halos if they have such a thing, and I would doubt it, but anyway, they're thinking like, God, you love them. God, you entered into their creation. You were spit upon. You had your beard ripped out of your face and you were crucified on a cross for them. I don't get it. I'm thinking of the angels. Yeah, I don't get it either. They desire to look unto these things. And the, and the understanding is like, they see this magnificent, thrice holy God whom they worship fervently forever and they they don't understand these things why because an angel was never the recipient of the grace of god all the angels were created on the same day and they all made a choice i think revelation 13 tells us that a third of them followed lucifer in rebellion against god and they're not entitled to salvation there's no salvation mechanism for fallen angels Jesus didn't become an angel and die for angels. And the two-thirds who remain loyal, they don't need salvation. So anyway, angels don't understand grace. Well, they're in large company. Most people don't understand grace. And I would confess, I don't understand it fully. I can say grace is the mechanism by which God is kind to us and he gives us things that we haven't deserved. As a matter of fact, ill-deserved. And he's good to us, and the blessings can come our way through our faith in Christ, regardless of the fact that we, we don't deserve anything that God's given to us. And, and I say this all the time. If, if we were to storm into God's presence and say, I demand you give us what we deserve, then we would get hell. That's what we've earned. The wages of sin is death. We don't get hell. So we get some sort of stasis in between. Now we can furiously work our way into God's good graces. Again, there's no Bible verse that says anything like that. Our faith in Jesus Christ gives us this unspeakable joy, full of glory, uh, the end of our, our faith, the salvation of your souls. This salvation, the prophets, they, they, they want to know about it. The angels want to know about it, and we know about it. And I think that's a, really a great thing. Wherefore, because of all this, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end of, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now there's much here. Because of all this, because of the gospel that came to us, that was reported unto us, that we have settled in our minds by having faith in Jesus Christ, because of all this, gird up the loins of your mind. Back to, that's why we rejoice, we greatly rejoice through a season. If we might be in heaviness, there may be multiple trials happening to us. And what does God say? Hey, stiffen up. Uh, 
man up, uh, <laughs> cowboy up, uh, <laughs> however you want to say it, gird up the loins of your mind. What is girding up your loins? And that day, you know, when Peter wrote this to somebody, they would understand because they all wore robes. I would hate that. It's too close to a dress if you ask me. Oh, it's a robe. Yeah, it's a dress. I'm not a dress guy. I don't. I don't have the. I don't have the knees for it. I don't have uh, gorgeous legs. I'd. Uh, it, I, I'm, I'm not a robe kind of wearing guy. Okay, I'm kind of glad that we've uh, invented pants. I wear them every Sunday. I really enjoy them. I think they're uh, one of our best inventions yet. Uh, back when they wore robes, they'd have to pull them up all the way up past the knees and they'd take the bottom and they'd tuck it into their leather belt so they could work or run or use their legs in a way other than just uh, uh, meandering. And he's and, it, and it girding up the... It's like we would say rolling up your sleeves. We're getting ready for work. We're going to roll up our sleeves, you know, because we got we to gotta dig in and we got to, you know, grab hold of some things and our sleeves are going to get in the way. Well, in the old way, they'd say gird up, the, gird up your loins. But he's not calling for that. He's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, think about this in this way. And the girding up is a call to action. It's a rolling up the sleeves. So here, roll up the sleeves of your mind. What is that saying? Hey, get with it. Think right about this. Figure this out. Uh, most of our problems are that we don't think right. I think fear is a, it's a prison of thoughts. I think lust... I think our, you know, drug and alcohol. Okay, there may be a physical aspect of that, but much, many times, you know, loneliness, um, you know, feelings of worthlessness, depression. We we built a prison of thoughts. I'm not worth this, and I'm not. I, you know, this part of me always wants to say, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Just <sighs> I don't want to be, and I, I never want to come across as cavalier, but the whole problem is your perception. The whole problem to your Look at unforgiveness. This is one of the best examples I can think about. So here I am, tossing and turning on my bed every night, thinking evil thoughts about that guy who did me wrong, about that person who betrayed my trust, about that, oh, if I ever get hold of him, I'll, oh, and, and what's happening with him? Uh, he's asleep on his bed, fat, dumb, and happy, not even thinking about me. Visions of sugar plums dancing in his head. And here I am, I can't even sleep. Why? Because I, I wouldn't forgive. I was foolish to let bitterness, that root of bitterness, invade my, and get right down in my soul and start choking out the love of God. Uh, gird up the loins of your mind, Adam. Somebody would say, I'd say, yeah, right, good word. I'm not supposed to think like that. I'm supposed to just let it go. I'm just supposed to like, God, whatever they did wrong, I understand vengeance is yours. You'll repay. Me, I forgive. And we have to do that in faith. You say, it sounds way too easy. It is and it isn't. It's easy to say it. 
And then what happened? Later on, I start having those feelings again, like, oh, I'd like to strangle him. And then I have to get back to that place, win the battle right here, right between my ears, win that. I'm not, I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to be that way. I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to be victimized by bitterness. I won't do it. God's called me to many places to forgive. Here, Peter says it this way, gird up the loins of your mind. And that's just about forgiveness. What about fear? Oh, the virus is going to get me. I'm going to die. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be... <sighs> Breathe. <sighs> Main calm. Even during pandemics, God's still on the throne. And nothing has changed. Um, I just think if you fear God the right way, everything else, you won't, you won't have room for fear of anything else. If you respect God's awesomeness, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground, except he knows it. And we're going to die of a virus, and God's going to, we're going to be up in heaven, God's going, Oy vey, how did you get here? You weren't supposed to die for 20 more years. I had all this ministry planned for you. Oh, no! Do you imagine a God like that? If you understand his awesomeness, who he is, the, the, the creator of the entire universe, I think... Well, listen, gird up the loins of your mind. Figure this out. Think about it. Think right. Think Bible thoughts. Don't be a prisoner of your own thoughts. What a... I hope that's a word for somebody. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Does that mean stop drinking alcohol? Well, that's <laughs> other verses. No, be sober-minded. Be grave. You know, uh, every once in a while I'll clown around a little bit, and usually it's... I like to think it's well thought of clowning around. Well, I clown around a little bit just for the sake of clowning around because, hey, let's lighten it up. And God's given us this, this sense of humor and stuff. But I don't, I don't do stand-up comedy up here. And I, and I, preaching the truth that's contained in these sacred pages is, is a dignified, sober-minded, I don't want to be thought of as a clown. Somebody who's always, you know, sometimes, okay, if a little rubber chicken will help make a point or grease the skids on a, a hard-to-receive truth, and that is happens in the Bible, then, then so be it. If I, if I clown around a little, cut up a little, just so that people will you know, relax and be at ease with hard truths that we're teaching, or maybe they'll be able to uh, receive things better or understand them better through, a, through joke, well, fine, but by and large, this is very sober. This is very dignified. This is very clear-headed thinking this is it, we don't we don't want to just be clowns and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation the revealing of Jesus Christ when Jesus comes back what grace he's going to have it rewards think about it that way by the boatload and it's going to be brought to you at that time and with that in mind that's the goal that's the that's the finish line. That's the and you want to be sober minded. You want to be, you want to have hope to the end of the for the grace. Why? Because right now you're in these manifold temptations. You're it's it's a heavy on your heart. You're going through a lot of stuff. Well, it's only for what three score and ten. Or if you're like me, that's just leads to ten. I mean. Think it, think it out. It's, it's, it's short term. Eternity is a long time. 
this world is a vapor. It's a mist that, that appears for a while and then goes away. Jesus is coming back, and we're going to be with him forever. And all the choices that we make now should be in light of that fact. And so these light temptations that we're going through, they're not worthy to be compared, as Paul would say it. They don't weigh as much as what he's saying. These, these things we're going through, he says, they're not worthy to be compared, which the glory that shall be revealed in us. Okay, losing my job, flat tire, my spouse left me. No, I'm not saying they're not important things. Glory forever. Hmm, hmm, hmm. I wonder which one weighs more. Paul's saying that, that the glory that will be revealed in us way outweighs any of the problems we're going through now. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance. Don't be like you used to be. Don't, you know, I, I see Christians like this, and I, it, it blows my mind. They want to go back to Egypt in the sense of Egypt being a picture of the world, like the children of Israel in the desert. Oh, the man, oh, the leeks, oh, the onions, oh, the garlic. And by the way, three of my favorite flavors. But that's not, look at God rains food on you every day. Is that not incredible? God sustains you in the wilderness. You're free. You're not making bricks anymore. You're not in bondage to the world and its system. And as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. You used to be like that. You're not like that anymore. You're thinking different. Your mind's been Free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Oh, we want our bondage. Why do we see Christians still living like they're still in the, the old way? Because they haven't girded up the loins of their mind. They're not thinking in terms of Jesus Christ coming back and us living with him forever. They're thinking about the things they came out of. That's the wrong way to live. But as he which has called you is holy, so be holy in, the man, in all manner of conversation. Because it is written... Be holy, for I am holy. Are you, you, we all know that verse. Are you surprised to find it there? I'm not, because I think it follows a very obvious pattern. We used to be a certain way. We used to think a certain way. We were consumed by lust. And I don't mean sexual, but it, it could be that. I mean, we just wanted what we wanted. We wanted all things. That's what motivated us. That's what drove us. I want what I want. I want the girl that I want. I want the job that I want. I want the car that I want. I want the house that I want. And that used to be the whole everything. And then the things that you know w worked against us, we, we hated those. And the things that helped us get those things, we liked those things. And now we're saying, okay, none of that stuff. It's all... It's all going to burn, every last bit of it. The finish line is Jesus Christ coming back and giving out his grace. And as obedient children, we're not fashioning ourselves according to the former lust of ignorance. So what are we supposed to do? Ah, verse 15, he called you, he that called you is holy. Be holy. In all manner of conversation is you're living. Live holy. Live. Jesus Christ is for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you're living for Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm furthering His kingdom. I'm living like He lives. I'm saying the things that He said. I, I don't like the things He doesn't like, like hypocrisy. I love the things that He loves, like faith. That's the whole thing. He called me. He's holy, and you're supposed to be holy because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now, what does it mean when we say God's holy? God's not like anything else. That's what it means. There's, there's two categories, creator and created. 
And those are the only two categories that exist. God is exclusive. Okay, he's on the, in the holy category. When he looks right, he looks left, he looks behind him, he looks in front of him, he looks all around. Nope, I'm the only God. There's none like me. And that means holy. It means separate. It means distinct. And we're supposed to live that same distinct, different, not-of-this-world kind of lifestyle. And it's in this dark world, it's kind of obvious now who's following Jesus Christ and who, who's not. It becomes, I think, more obvious every day. Be holy, for I am holy. So we were, recently we went through the book of Leviticus. I love Calvary Chapel. We study Leviticus. I've, taught, I've had the great pleasure to teach it two times. Most churches won't teach Leviticus, which is very, very sad because it's about how to distinguish the common from the holy. And you should download those recordings and listen to them. I think we learned a lot, lot of things there. Um, f- we learned what's common, what's holy. And if ye call on the Father who with, without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. We're, we're on this pilgrimage Live it in fear of God and not fear of anything else. And it puts everything in perspective. We understand what's holy. We understand what's common. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. You were called to this. He's talking about our redemption. As silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your father. So we act the way our parents acted. Who acted the way their parents acted. And I'm not trying to throw your parents under the bus, but it's vain. Maybe there were some good things, and maybe there were some bad things, but your mom and your dad, my mom and dad, and their mom and dad, and back to Adam and Eve, were sinners. I'm living a better way now. I'm living on a higher plane. I was redeemed. It wasn't by silver or gold. By the way, I like how he ties that in, because our faith is more precious than gold, which perishes. And here, it's the idea again, you know, silver and gold come up. Uh, don't be like the way you used to be, your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but instead with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Let's tie this all together and end here. We're, we're called on to be different. Why? Because we redeemed. What we redeem with silver and gold? Oh, Get out of here. No, we receive with the pre- redeem with the precious blood of Christ, who is a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now in Leviticus, we understood that all the things that were offered, all the offerings were without spot or blemish. Why? Because they all pictured Jesus Christ, who was without sin. When we brought the lamb to the priest, every each and every time they would examine the lamb, and they would never examine the worshiper. Why? Because it was a foregone conclusion that the worshiper would have spot or would have blemish. That's why they were bringing the offering, because they had blemish, they had spot, they had sin, they had depravity, they had wickedness, they had disobeyed a commandment. And now, because of the disobedience of this commandment, they brought this innocent, spotless sacrifice. You see how this all ties together? They brought a picture of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lived without spot or blemish. Uh, And He has purchased us to live like Him, which is what? 
Be ye holy, for I am holy. Figure this out. Gird up the loins of your mind. We're not living the former way. We're living a different way. So now, this whole thing, I think, this whole passage is on wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. You're going through a trial, Jesus Christ died to save you from your sins, to bring you unto himself. You've got a high to the skyline profile during this trial. Live like a man. Live like a woman of God. Adam, it's so hard. I know. Gird up the loins of your mind. Think about it this way. Don't think about it the old way. The old way was you got saved from that. We were saved out of something. We were saved to something. And the salvation that's ours, it's an incredible thing. And that it, it's, it, we, came, we came in with faith and we're living by faith, and we'll die faithful, and we'll have faith for all eternity. In God's sight, this is more precious than gold which perishes. It's, he, he makes us step up our game. He refines our faith through the things we're going through, through the trials, through life. Okay, um, I'm going to end there, and we'll pray, and there you go. Uh, our Father and our God, I don't know if I've communicated it successfully. Spirit of God, work in our hearts. Because at the end of the day, I don't care how good I am. I can't touch that deep that calleth the deep place where only you can speak to a person's heart and mind and their soul in such a way that they change for good and for God forever. I don't want us to be shaped or victimized by our circumstances, Lord. I want to rise above. I want to show faith. I want to demonstrate your great goodness to us. I want to live as a man, as a woman, as a, as a congregation, apart, holy, separated unto God. You paid for us with your blood. Lord, we shouldn't be living like the world lives. Help us in this time not to be those who are desperate or who are fearful. Who are, Lord, we want to be more than conquerors. For your great fame, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It is our desire to get God's Word out to all, so our podcasts and everything else downloaded from our website is free. But we do have expenses, and if you feel led to give a dollar for this resource, please go ahead and click the Give tab on our website at plowboyministries.org. Grace and peace. And everything I want out dear, I count it all as lost. Lead me to the cross where your love pours.